Hello, welcome to Abundantly Curious. I'm your host, Jerry Page Butner, and this is your 60-second intro. In this episode, I sit down with a dear friend of mine who is an energy healer and just such a wealth of knowledge. We cover off on anxiety, the chakra and energy systems, including a brief overview if you're not familiar what those are, what it means to be heart-opened and how we can access our heart more often, the practice of embodiment and the power behind it. We explore what it feels like to actually experience energy as a Reiki practitioner and be able to sense and see what's going on in people's systems. And we also pay tribute to and share some of the teachings of two of our teachers, who are Dr. Joe Dispenza and Alexandra Roxo. There is not a dull moment in this episode, so I hope you will stay tuned. Before we dive in, I'd like to welcome you to the Abundantly Curious podcast, where we aim to spark curiosity, ignite inspiration, and open your mind to expand into possibility. Each week, we'll sit down with experts to dive headfirst into the magical, mysterious, and awe-inspiring elements of our world, with a focus on topics found at the intersection of science, spirituality, and self-help. Make sure you never miss an episode by hitting subscribe now and joining our email list at the link in our show description and show notes. Our guest this week is Amy Miller, the healer owner of Healing House, where she combines the work and the woo to empower clients to take their healing into their own hands. She incorporates modalities ranging from Reiki and sound healing to subconscious reprogramming and coaching to support all aspects of a person's journey. Amy, it's so good to have you here. Thank you. I'm thrilled to sit with you. Thank you so much, Jerry. So just to provide context to the audience, because this is not the first time Amy and I have met. We met, (laughs) what, like three and a half years ago in retreat? That sounds right and also impossible, but also right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So we were at Alexandra Roxo's Women's Embodiment Retreat with about 60 other women. And then we've stayed connected, stayed friends, worked with each other a little bit. And when I knew I had to have Amy on the show is when I recently had a, a Reiki healing session with her. And it was a really powerful experience for me just listening to her after the session and hearing what she had to share I just knew like she knows her stuff and she's very gifted. Thank you so much. It's such a joy. And, you know, working with different people, it's always different in a session. You never know what's going to come through. And so it's such a rich experience for me every time, especially when it's a dear friend. It's all the more meaningful. So, (laughs) Mm, yes. Well, to kick us off, would you mind sharing a little bit about your background and your journey that brought you to where you are today? Absolutely. Um, When thinking about where my journey starts, it's kind of hard to pick a jumping off point. (laughs) I might say that starting when I was a child, my mom had studied herbalism and so was always introducing these holistic and homeopathic remedies for a cold. You know, we would get echinacea and um, like a steam instead of cold medicine. And I think that shaped me more than I realize and set me on this very curious journey to find different ways to either heal or manage different symptoms I was having. The number one thing that's been pretty prevalent in my life and has guided my journey is my anxiety. Mm. And it, it put me in this direction to 
try to manage the symptoms as best I could and make it livable. For a long time, that meant me not bumping into the edges where my anxiety lived and kind of creating this very small life for myself. And, um, you know, the more we try to avoid something, the more it grows in the dark. Eventually, I was forced to come face to face with it, which is probably a real beginning part of my journey. And as scary and out of control and overwhelming as that might feel, I know I shared with you in our last healing session together that I do truly believe that when things come up in our lives, it's because we are finally ready and have the capacity to process them. Mm. So that informed a lot of my journey, just finding ways to work with my anxiety, work with my nervous system, come to understand myself better. And separately, I just noticed myself um, a few years before I met you, just feeling like I was sort of existing but not living. I was just sort of going through the motion and just had this sense of there's got to be something more. There's got to be something different. This can't be all there is. And feeling in that sort of autopilot state that I think a lot of us are in until we notice that and start to do something about it. I do have a very curious nature. My rising sign is Scorpio, which is all about that birth, death, rebirth cycle, always seeking transformation, Phoenix rising from the ashes sort of energy. And so I do feel like I've had a lot of um, revolutions of that and of myself. I'm grateful for that because it has led me on this journey to seek modalities to support my own healing, my own sense of self-awareness. And it's been such a joy for me to be able to kind of reach my hand back into the tunnel and help guide other people through the path that I've walked as well, which is all all healers are really doing. <laughs> mm. You mentioned anxiety, and I'm familiar somewhat with the work that you've done there, but I'm curious to know how you define anxiety and how you've navigated it. Yeah. So my definition of anxiety would be irrational fear, <laughs> knowing maybe cognitively that you're safe in the moment, but feeling in your body as though you narrowly missed a car accident or, you know, narrowly fell off a cliff or something. Your body is just singing and surging and full of overwhelming sensation. That might also venture into panic attack territory, which I also have a lot of experience with, or just some kind of irrational fear. I know there are people who experience anxiety in a social setting. So maybe having like the self-doubt and the reviewing of interactions and what happened. That hasn't been so much my experience. My anxiety has always shown up more first as a body sensation. So a lot of therapies that do help anxiety, like cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, kind of felt like it didn't address my needs because it was always this kind of whoosh feeling in my body first that I couldn't really identify the cause of. And then I would have the mental spinning and need to find ways to be able to calm myself down, usually using uh, like herbal resources like tinctures or like a rescue remedy by Dr. Bach or just breathing techniques or, you know, anything else I could get my hands on. So I think it does show up differently for people on an individual level. But I think there also is this 
feeling of defeat and desperation and maybe feeling like not strong enough to climb out of it that I think is pretty universal for people who do have anxiety. Hmm. And I mean, I know that I had anxiety pretty intensely for a long time, but I never even thought to label it as that. It just seemed like Mm. that was normal. So I'm curious if you could paint the picture a little bit for us. What was it like in your peak state of anxiety and how is it compared to what exists for you now? Sure. It's a great point that you make because when I was a kid growing up, I think I exhibited a lot of anxious tendencies and people just thought I, you know, had attachment to my mom or was just really shy. I didn't realize until later reflecting back how just scared I felt all the time, but I didn't know to communicate it because to your point, I didn't know that wasn't normal. It wasn't until high school that I did a paper on generalized anxiety disorder and realized, oh, this is what I have. And that was both empowering because finally I could approach it and have a a label for it, um, but also overwhelming because, you know, back then it wasn't as widely talked about. There weren't as many resources, et cetera. And so for a long time, I was just managing it on my own, like I said, mostly by trying to avoid it. (laughs) The behaviors I was exhibiting were that I couldn't get on the subway. And I couldn't tell you why I couldn't get on the subway. It just felt unsafe to get on the subway. So I was taking Ubers everywhere. I was still going to work, (laughs) but I was on the phone with my mom throughout the whole day. I had one earplug in my ear just on the line with her. And that brought me some solace, but I just felt so scared. It just felt in my body that something was wrong, that I was in constant threat. My mind was spinning. I couldn't focus on anything. And I was constantly fighting off a panic attack. Wow. So at the end of that week, my mom softly said to me, honey, maybe you should talk to your doctor about getting medication to help manage this. And so I did. I have no problems with medication. I just prefer to address the root of the problem when I can and manage it naturally when I can. But at this point, I think I really needed that support. And so I did go on medication for a few months. And at the same time, started going to acupuncture a few times a week and finding different modalities to bring my whole system back to a place of safety and a more calm baseline. That really set me on a path of getting to know my anxiety better and working with it instead of against it. I do think that's a big piece of Some of these challenges that we face in life, you know, Byron Katie says, when we resist what is, we suffer. And I think sometimes resisting the anxiety can cause this tension, can cause this kind of uh, arm wrestling match, when instead accepting the body sensations of, I feel nervous right now, my heart is racing right now, I'm a little sweaty right now, my chest feels tight right now. And just accepting what is in a neutral, balanced way, that can take a lot of the charge away versus resisting all of those scary sensations that are piling up. So I can proudly say that although I do sometimes still have flare-ups in unpredictable ways, I can go days or weeks without even thinking about my anxiety. And when it does flare up, I can greet it and embrace it and Take that as a cue to tend better to myself. And instead of going down the spiral of why do I feel this way, 
going instead down the path of what do I need to feel better? What do I need to bring myself back to baseline versus getting stuck in the spiral of why, how, when, (laughs) what if, et cetera? Yeah. I've seen this journey and experienced this journey myself. Something being off with the body or off with the system you know, of course, we never want that for ourselves, but it led Mm. you to a place of discovery. And there's this perception that like actually illnesses or the body raising its hand and saying, pay attention to me as like almost a last Mm. straw is a gift. I know that illnesses, sicknesses are not fundamentally good experiences to have, but I know that my own health issues that I had three years ago are pretty much the only thing that brought me to where I am today. I wouldn't be Mm. where I was if I hadn't shown up in the ER three and a half years ago being like, what is the matter with me? And then had to go and turn to acupuncture as well as the entry point to this world, the balanced blonde. She recently said that Lyme disease, she saw it as a true gift and got a lot of positive feedback for them and also a lot of negative feedback. I'd like to know what are Mm. your thoughts on this and when the body raises its hand? Yeah. So speaking personally and in being on the other side, which I think is an important point, being through the journey, which, you know, the journey is always continuing, but having gotten to a place where I can comfortably manage and I've really stepped out of the peak of it. I do agree with that sentiment. I, I also give people the space to decide to opt in or opt out. Some people don't feel at capacity to deal with it in the moment. They want to just remove the symptoms. They don't want to go down that rabbit hole and dig deeper. And every person has that right. But it really does inspire me. And this is how I handled my own journey was to get curious about it, see what this is about. Because I think you're right. You know, when I'm doing an energy healing session on somebody, I can feel where there might be some kind of inner stagnancy or stuckness that would point to an area of somebody's life. Those are the sort of energetic blocks that not always, but sometimes if gone unaddressed can start to manifest into our physicality as dis-ease, which might be injury, which might be illness. And so I agree that this can be the body just working to get our attention at something that's maybe not working for us, that's maybe out of alignment, when we can identify what that might be, I think that is a great gift. I've done a lot of reading about anxiety and there's a big tie between women who were taught to be nice girls and to be overly accommodating and who maybe weren't allowed to be angry in childhood and during those formative years do experience a lot of anxiety and thinking about the relation to that unexpressed angst and how that might show up in the body as all this extra energy that feels very chaotic and very overwhelming. You know, I think there is a connection there. That feels very true for me personally. Mm -hmm. In my journey, it's pretty reflective that there is that tie between where we may be out of alignment, where we might be not living in a way that really supports ourselves and our systems as a whole. And the system starts to misfunction as a result of that. If we can catch it and address it at its root, at its core, we may have the opportunity to learn more about ourselves, become more empowered and really change our lives in a beautiful way. 
You spoke of your work and what you sense energetically. I am fascinated by this. And I want to hear more about how this uh, presents for you, the sensation. Mm -hmm. Because after our session, you were like, okay, this chakra is open. This one's closed. This one's spinning backwards. I did a Reiki 1 certification. I didn't learn any of this. So I want to (laughs) know, how do you tap into all this and how do you feel it, sense it in your being? Mm. Great questions. I think this is different for people too. I like to highlight this because when I was first starting out in this healing realm, I think it's so easy to see other people as these gurus and that they have all the answers. And I would hear people talking about channeling or hearing voices or seeing visions. And I wasn't experiencing any of that. And I got so down on myself thinking, I'm, I'm just not magical. I just don't have these powers. And it wasn't until I heard somebody, I think it was Lindsay Mack, who's a great tarot teacher and just overall amazing human being, expressing that she sometimes gets it more as a claircognizance, which would be an inner knowing, Mm -hmm. instead of a clairvoyance, which would be seeing, or a clairaudience, which would be hearing. There's also clairsentience, which is feeling or sensing. And so once I realized that my gifts, my intuition might be speaking to me in a different way than what most people talk about, because that's like the sexy thing, right, is to like have the vision or hear the voice, you know, and because I wasn't seeing somebody's grandmother standing at the end of the bed during a Reiki (laughs) session, I felt like, oh my gosh, I I don't have this gift. So as far as what I do in a session, I have so much appreciation for my Reiki master, Corinne Feinberg, who is Past Light Healing on Instagram. She gave me the greatest gift in when she taught me Reiki. She really just taught me about my intuition. She didn't tell me where to place my hands. She didn't give me much in the way of framework or guidelines. She really asked me to trust myself. And that was such a, an integral part of my journey. And how my gifts have manifested, or I should say, um, just deepened. Mm. Because absent of this structure to lean on or this guide to just move through almost in an autopilot way, it really asked me to step into listening to myself. And that was such a gift. So when I am in a session with somebody, I always like to start out by checking the chakras and I do use a pendulum for that, which is an external tool. And that just gives me a nice jumping off point to know what this person is coming in with, what might be areas that might require a little more of my time. So I know how to budget for the session the same way a massage therapist might ask you when you come in, like, is your back, your shoulders, where do you hold your tension? It's my way of asking energetically where, where might you be holding blockages? From there, I go down the body and sometimes I will feel a sensation in my hands when my hands are somebody on somebody, or sometimes I'll feel it in my body. So if, for example, I'm on somebody's heart, I might feel whatever that feeling is in my heart. So the really important piece here is for me to be incredibly aware of my own body and of shifts in my own body to tease out, is this them or is this me? Mm -hmm. And keeping that sort of integrity there of making sure I can separate the two. And 
just learning along the way where certain areas of the body correlate to certain areas of life, because that's what the chakras really are, these seven major energy centers that we work with. And not everybody who does Reiki works with the chakras. I just find them to be a really fantastic guidepost. The way I use them, interpret them in my own practice is really as keys to alignment in your own life. And that'll look a little bit differently for everybody, but checking in with your chakras and whether they are open and flowing or whether there's some stagnancy there is going to show where in your life more often than not you are acting in alignment. And I think that knowledge can be such a gift for people. So that's another thing I focus heavily on during the sessions is afterwards having that conversation with people about what came through, not as a way to, again, be that guru, but to really instill in them a sense of power that you can make changes in your body. They will show up in your energy. And if you can change your habits and your patterns, because the chakras are really just a reflection of our patterns and our habits and the choices that we're continually making. They're always shifting based on these decisions that we're making, what we're opting into or opting away from, and that you can change that. And I am such a big fan of empowering people and really stepping out of that guru format altogether and giving them the tools to be able to create the change in their lives that they can take outside of the session and continue to work with and giving them specific ways of how to work with a particular chakra in their life and so that they can continue the journey. I think a 75-minute healing session is wonderful, but if you walk out and lose touch with that immediately, what's the benefit? I want people to be able to really kind of spill this into the canvas of their lives so that it, it makes a mark and stays with them. Mm, you bring up so many good points. One being that you can actually check in with your own <laughs> energy centers mm. or chakras. It wasn't mm-hmm. until very recently that I noticed, oh, where I feel sensation in my body matters and it can have meaning attached to it. Um to be honest, I think at Dr. Joe and the week-long meditation was where I was like, no. holy cow, I feel <laughs> the energy centers or chakras. I know, I understand now. For people listening who might not have a familiarity, would you mind giving them a little bit of an idea of what these seven energy centers or chakras represent? Absolutely. So like I said, they relate to areas of our life and have a physical location on the body or within the energy field. And so starting at the top of the head, this is number seven, the crown chakra. So this is our connection to divine, to source energy, whatever you interpret that as, and also our connection to humanity, our connection to all, and that feeling that I am you, you are me, we are all one, just kind of broken into bits here in this realm. The third eye chakra, number six, is at the point between the eyebrows. And this is our center of introspection, our self-awareness, our rich inner world, and our connection to our dreams. So somebody Mm -hmm. who meditates a lot would often have this open because you're doing that work of self-awareness and really deeply knowing the self. The throat chakra is located at the throat. This one's pretty straightforward, but this 
is our self-expression and our ability to express our truth. So this can be through, you know, as one might expect, verbal. But this also counts as ways you express yourself in written word through journaling. This also encompasses the way that we dress ourselves, the color lipstick that we wear, if we wear lipstick or not. You know, any choice that you are making in how you present and express yourself, your inner truth is uh, associated with this chakra. And the important piece that I like to remind people about this throat chakra and communication is that it also, it rules the ears and and listening as an important piece of communication, true deep listening and receiving, not just waiting the turn to talk and, and getting your point in, but really deeply receiving and listening to somebody. The heart chakra, number four, is in the heart center. And it also extends down the arms and into the hands. This is why it feels so good to hug somebody. It's just, you know, you're almost being fully wrapped up in their heart energy if it's open. The heart is one of my, I will say, longest term, uh, I hate the word project, but I'll say project. Um, being a sensitive person, it's so much easier to close. It's so much easier to guard. It's so much easier to step away, to numb. And I did have a series of disappointing events in my life that really caused me to lose complete touch with my heart chakra. And it just felt numb. I lost the ability to feel joy. I lost the ability to feel at all. And it was a really difficult time for me. And it, it took me almost a decade to really come back from that and a lot of heart work. So it's something I'm incredibly passionate about sharing with others because we do lose so much when we're not in touch with our heart and not mm. open in our heart. So the heart rules, uh, of course, the love that we give and receive to others. It also rules connection and community. So that sense of being a part of something bigger than ourselves, you know, here's where we're going to experience joy, awe, wonder, gratitude, all these really nourishing emotions that can be really expansive. And I like to also talk to people about the back of the heart. So the back of the heart is our connection to self-love, the love we give and receive with ourselves. And that can be a really crunchy spot for a lot of people. I certainly carry a lot of crunch kind of behind the shoulder blades and things. And so when that's coming up, and if you even feel maybe tightness back there in your own body, that might be an indication of an opportunity to be more gracious with yourself and kind of give that love to yourself that you're looking to take care of everybody else with. The third chakra is the solar plexus. So this is between the low ribs and the navel. This is our power center of the body. This is our unique personality. I like to call it the individual sunlight that we shine into the world. This is our willpower, our boundaries, which is a big one for a lot of people. And again, the place where we take action from. So you can imagine being cut off from this center might result in an inability to take action or even feel excited about things that we could be passionate about or creative about and kind of feeling detached from that. Also not being able to to establish boundaries with people might leave a sense of being walked all over. This is our center for self-worth. So if that is lacking or if there's an opportunity there, it's going to show up in this chakra. The second chakra is the, the pelvis between the hips and the very low back. This is a struggle for nearly everybody. I don't 
know that I've ever seen anybody walk in with an open sacral chakra. A huge piece of this is just the very repressive society that we live in. You know, this chakra, of course, represents sexuality and that sexual expression. It is our reproductive organs. It's also creation energy. So thinking about creating, you know, that's where we would create a human from. It's where we might create a business or a project or a um, product, something new, bringing something that didn't used to exist into creation, into the world is the energy of this chakra as well. And it's also the seat of our relationship to our emotions and our relationship to feeling our feelings. And so you can probably see why (laughs) it's a, a challenge for many of us on a couple different levels. There's always opportunity to get better in touch with that chakra if that's one that you choose to work with. And on that note, I usually suggest people only work with one or two at a time uh, just so that you can really focus on because if you're trying to manage all of them, you, you may get kind of lost in it and maybe not see opportunities to make different choices as they come up. The last chakra, which is the first chakra, because I went from the top down, is at the base of the spine. And this is the root chakra. This is our center for safety, stability, security. Are our human needs met? Food, water, shelter? Do we feel a sense of safety in the world? Many of us don't right now. Many people don't right now. Um, and for good reason. And so this is where we might feel uprooted or ungrounded. And this can be something as relatively benign as moving apartments. And for a little while until you get used to the new space, you're going to feel a bit uprooted. You're not going to have that sense of like a home space. And so that could cause an uproot or, you know, being in a space that's literally unsafe for you would cause a disruption in this chakra as well. So these bottom three are where fear, anxiety, and all those kind of survival emotions are going to live. The journey of the chakras is really going from material at the bottom, the body, the base, and ascending up to enlightenment. Or it's the opposite journey, which is taking thought, which is formless, and bringing it down into form, into physicality. So taking an idea and bringing it into fruition. And that heart center, number four, is the meeting point, the gateway between those two energies, the ethereal realm and then the, um, the physicality, the material. Woo! What an amazing <laughs> overview. Oh my gosh, I learned a, a lot. <laughs> that was so amazing. It's mm-hmm. it's so cool because as you were talking, I realized how the brain and logical thought is not a part of this. Like it appears that it doesn't necessarily need to be a part of that. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're physical points, but yeah, nothing's really necessarily in the head and in the mind. I know when you mentioned Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he does a lot of work with the pineal gland and a little with the pituitary glands. I think in his work, it's a little more brain-centric, but the energy centers, as I understand them, yeah, really do operate independent of the thinking mind. It's more a guidance for where we are in alignment. So taking the throat, for example, am I expressing my needs? 
Am I speaking my truth or am I swallowing that when I need to cry? Am I expressing that and letting it out or am I saving it for later and never getting around to it? Whether you are choosing to let that out and let that flow, that would be an open throat chakra. And when you were choosing to maybe modify or edit or stuff it down or just deal with it myself because it's easier or be avoidant then it's going to be closed. And so, yeah, it's more just our patterns and our behaviors mm. which show up, which is so interesting because, you know, we can change those. Mm. That's so clarifying. Thank you. Mm. You brought up Dr. Joe. Okay. Mm. I wonder how this experience was for you. And this will segue us into your entire experience there. But my mind exploded into a million pieces whenever he got up to the whiteboard and showed everybody how the energy centers, as he calls them, same mm -hmm. thing as chakras. Although I think he has eight, right? Does he have eight? There is an eighth. I mean, there's way more than eight. They're all over the body. We generally talk about the seven major ones because those are the biggest areas of life and the ones that we're most interacting with on a daily basis. There is eight, which is up above the head and is kind of this auric um, field. I don't work much with it, so I couldn't really probably expand more beyond that. But he does employ that eighth as well. And his definition of one and two are swapped. Um, and I don't think there's anything problematic with that. Um, it, did, it did throw me for a loop when I was sitting in the lecture and trying to, wait a minute. Um, but I think when you're doing meditation, you can take it to mean whichever feels true for you. Because I think it's less about the nitty gritty detail and more about feeling into that center and making space and yeah. just getting acquainted with it. Yeah. Yeah. That is a great point. It's like there's all this knowledge, but in the end, it's like what feels <laughs> aligned mm -hmm. for you in mm -hmm. a way. But the, the whiteboard moment where he gets up there with his eight energy centers and he goes, these are aligned with the dimensions, with like mm -hmm. how we are ascending as humans. As I thought about the course of history, oh yeah, we started out just trying to survive at the root and then we figured out how to survive and we just imploded and like really populated everything, our sexuality, woo, mm -hmm. we're like raw and animalistic and we have this energy. And then right now, that power center of like, Mm -hmm. We make money, we control the earth, we control nature. And now the 4D, when you hear people talk about like we are as a collective moving into the 4D, it's like you're moving into that fourth chakra or energy center of love. Mm -hmm. How did that land for you? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's such a fascinating revelation. And it's so funny because I was a bit reluctant towards um, Dr. Joe Dispenza when he was first presented to me. I like to come at things, and I say this as like a super fan who just went to my second retreat of his. <laughs> I, I come from things from a woo perspective where I believe it. I don't mm -hmm. need to know how it works. I don't need to know why it works. I believe that it works. Mm. And I can feel it and sense it that it works. And I think the beauty of him is that he, by explaining the how and the why, makes the work uh, attractive to so many different groups of people who might lean more skeptical. You know, he really appeals to a lot of left brain people. And that's been a funny experience for me being on retreat with people who I maybe wouldn't normally interact with. Um, and so I always kind of wrote him off as this like 
type A spirituality kind of person. I hate this, you know. And But then I, I sat with my resistance for a minute and I said, wow, why do I feel so charged up about this person? Maybe there's something here for me. And sure enough, as soon as I started listening to his podcasts, things just started lining up in my life. I would listen to a podcast and like get a client booking. And I was like, this is not a coincidence here, you know? <laughs> and so that kind of began my journey with Dr. Joe. Um, so yeah, I love his presentation of things. And, you know, in the deeper, more advanced workshops, he starts to explain it on a really uh, detailed level of why we're trying to make change from the field versus from matter. And I agree with you. It's just so fascinating. Um, a big piece of his work is understanding why you do it so that you come at it with more intention and more meaning. I do appreciate that uh, about his work. And I do feel that it's made it more impactful for me in my life. Just his ability to assimilate the information presented in such a simple, clear, straightforward way and relate it to these ancient systems in a way that's non-threatening for people who uh, might be skeptical and help everybody get on the same page about understanding it. He's such a thought leader in that way. And mm. I, yeah, I deeply appreciate his work. Mm. And you have just returned from your second retreat. I was so excited to see you there. Yes. Is there anything just from your experience or how you're integrating that you feel called to share with us? Mm. Um, touching back on anxiety, um, which we had talked about a bit earlier, during my first retreat with him, my anxiety was just whew, flared up, uh, omnipresent. You know, my stomach was in a knot. I could barely eat. I was really struggling through the meditations, just wrestling with my mind. and. After that first retreat in April, I came home and I did make a lot of big changes in my life that I sort of knew I needed to because a lot of the times we kind of know. And I was it you who asked this question once? It stayed with me. What are you pretending not to know? Um, oh, I, I hope I asked. That's a good question. That. <laughs> <laughs> I said that um, somewhere along the line. Anyway, I'm crediting to you anyway, but. Um, that sense that we do kind of know. And that's why the energy healing sessions can be so powerful for people because they do have this inkling that something's going on. And I can sit, point to it in their energy and say, yes, it's here. It's really affirming for people. Back to the retreat, I made a lot of changes that I knew needed to happen, but was really resistant to after that retreat. That was just four months ago. And so being on retreat this time, I noticed my nervous system just presented so differently because my day-to-day -day life is more easeful, more calm. And that really showed up in what could be a challenging, stressful situation, being on retreat. It's inherently uncomfortable. You're there to grow. You're there to change. You're not getting enough sleep. You're <laughs> meditating a lot. And all this stuff is just kind of flying at you in every direction. There's people triggering you all over the place. It's a lot to opt into. And it's also incredibly worthwhile. And so that was a big takeaway, my internal shifts that had happened in such a short period of time um, and being to, able to compare and contrast. I think another big takeaway from the first retreat that came up again in the second was this theme of permission. 
And during one of the meditations, it was a walking meditation where you have your eyes closed, you're standing outside and you call up this feeling that you want to feel like in the future in your body. And then you practice opening your eyes and walking in touch with that feeling. This creates a bridge between what you would do in meditation and then what you would do in real life and and starts to kind of close that gap. I just remember having this big realization that I get to have a big, joyful, beautiful, rich life. Like I get to have that. I get to have all of it. And this photographer captured my expression as I realized that. And it is, it's equal parts like joy and devastation and like glee and sadness and just like I've gotten the best news of my life and I'm also just like in disbelief about it. It's such a precious moment. Giving myself that permission has really created Mm. a lot of shifts in my life. So, you know, in the second uh, retreat, I feel like I kind of went a level deeper with that of you know, maybe giving myself permission to let go of certain things or to deepen into certain things. There's nothing like a seven day, like it's just so immersive. Um, This was my first time doing like a three or four day and I would have loved it to be one day longer. It Mm, still was a really potent experience and it was so great to get back in touch with the teachings and the why behind the daily meditations that I'm doing. And at the same time, I just wanted more. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine. I think it took me till like day four or five to like pop and for things just to really get powerful. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of profound heart opening there. You mentioned this earlier as being challenging and I'm right there with you. The, The heart opening I'm sure there are other challenges I don't even have an awareness of right now, but like the heart opening (laughs) is currently like the big sort of journey. Even our shared teacher, Alexandra, I went to Zion with her earlier this year. And I remember Mm. in retreat just being like, I want to be heart open more. I want to be more connected to my heart. And instead, Mm. I sometimes have this sadness or this pain. And she's like, my love, that is your heart. And I was like, (laughs) (laughs) and my my brain exploded because I I think from certain experiences like my psilocybin journey or uh, deep meditation, love has always felt like so beautiful, like the heart opened Mm. so beautiful and like this rich experience of like positive. And then to hear, oh yeah, the heart, whenever you open it up, you're also going to feel the pain too, was, Mm. was really profound for me. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about your journey with the heart opening and just what you have to share there. Yeah. So as I touched upon lightly before, I had this series of life upsets that all happened in a row, uh, which I now understand as my second Jupiter return (laughs) via Colin Bedell, who is a phenomenal, phenomenal astrologer. So... I had led this relatively charmed life, you know, it wasn't without its struggles, but I always had this stubborn optimism about myself. And here it was just, you know, one thing after another, after another, after another. And I eventually just closed down in protection and really got away from being able to feel, like I said, anything at all in my heart. I knew that wasn't right. That wasn't what I wanted. That wasn't okay. But I didn't really know how to go about opening it. I'd go to therapy and say, like, I can't feel my heart. I can't feel my heart. Talk therapy certainly has its place. I have a therapist. I think therapy is wonderful. And 
therapy does not really address the body. It addresses the mind and patterns and behaviors and things that we can pay attention to. But there's so much that the body is holding. And if you've ever read The Body Keeps the Score, Mm -hmm. um, it's an incredibly mind-blowing book about that connection. And so... When I was starting on this heart journey, I love to joke that I took every external remedy you could find. I was doing (laughs) tinctures. I was drinking rose tea. I was taking rose baths. I was like wearing green. I was eating green food, you know, like all of these spells and bells and whistles and potions and lotions and tinctures. And the thing that I wasn't doing was feeling my heart was just trying to see what it feels like down there. <laughs> and feeling numb in your heart is is feeling your heart to your point of feeling sad in your heart is feeling your heart. And when I started letting go of those external tools and just sitting with what my heart felt like, that I think really started unfolding. And, you know, I worked closely with Alexandra. I have done countless retreats with her. I did some coaching with her for three months years ago. It really helped me transform that relationship. And it's only deepened over time. Her modality is called embodiment. And I was fortunate enough to do a year-long container with her in 2020 where I learned how to facilitate embodiment sessions. Embodiment is so powerful on every chakra, really. Um, the heart. It's great for clearing and removing that stuck residue, feeling into it. It's great for the throat because we're sounding what our body sensations are and what we're feeling in there as a way to release. And you wouldn't believe how many people are so afraid or maybe even ashamed of making sound and Mm. just voicing. They've been so conditioned to keep things inside that it feels so vulnerable and awkward for them to open their mouth and let that sound out. It also works great on the power center because it's you holding space for you. I'm not doing anything during your embodiment session except tethering you to the present moment and guiding you through breathing, but you are doing it and you are staying there with you. And that's such an empowering process. It, of course, gets into the sacral chakra, the second chakra, the, the relationship to feeling our feelings, the hips, letting go of some of that energy, and, of course, the root just being in the body in general. So... Embodiment has really helped me profoundly get in touch with my heart and open my heart. I also want to add that for me personally, because as I mentioned in the beginning, my anxiety first showed up as body sensation and then the thought spiral. Yeah. Embodiment has completely transformed my relationship to my anxiety because I was carrying such a mistrust for my body because what it was telling me didn't make sense and I didn't trust it. It didn't feel safe to be inside it because I had things like panic attacks happening to me. And so I was just living from the chin up. This is normal for a lot of people. But if you've had, you know, body illnesses or body traumas or just panic attacks, any kind of strained relationship with the body where you don't trust it or you might have felt betrayed by it at times, it's so easy to just disconnect and live from the chin up. And so coming down into the body and greeting what's there, even if it's sad, even if it's anxious, even if it's fearful, even if it's shameful, and just creating space to let the body finally let that move through us. Because the way emotions work is that they are meant to come in 
notify us as a messenger and then leave. They're, the average span of a, an emotion is something like 90 seconds. It's something incredibly short. Mm. But what happens is it comes in, it's uncomfortable, and we want to resist it because it's human nature to resist discomfort. And so we feel it come in and we go, oh, no, no way, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, and clamp down on it. And then it gets lodged somewhere in the body because we're not dealing with it. We're not letting it flow through us as the messenger that it is. Mm. We're, by trying to avoid it, we're actually trapping it within. And as I mentioned before, what we're not playing with or what we're maybe trying to avoid is going to grow more powerful in the dark until we kind of feel like we need to come face to face with it. We can't ignore it anymore. So embodiment is such an incredible tool for this process, for letting the body complete those emotional cycles, complete those stress cycles, and just let it out so that we can create more space within and fill that space how we want. You probably have had the experience post-embodiment of just feeling like there's more space inside of you. Mm -hmm. Like you can just breathe better and just feeling this like kind of inner expanse. Yeah. And I also noticed the feeling of buzzing in my cells, mm -hmm. like life force energy. My body is alive because mm -hmm. I am not just numbing it. <laughs> Yes, it's such presence in the moment and and full awareness of your body in parts that maybe you don't spend time thinking about or relating to. And that itself is such a gift as well. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. If you're open to sharing anonymously, and if not, maybe we can find a way to share it. some of the fascinating, awe-inspiring, beautiful healing that you've seen through your work. Oh, wow. There can be such potent change in an embodiment session, in a Reiki session, even just one off. I've had people come in for a Reiki session similar to how you did. You said, I had this thing going on. I don't want it anymore. I'm ready to leave it on the table. And you did. It's powerful. And to be able to hold space for somebody in such a deep way and hold them as they're emoting and releasing is beyond words, really being that touch point for somebody as they're experiencing something that's maybe uncomfortable, maybe overwhelming, but is ultimately leading to a growth, an opening, a release, transformation. Um, to, to play any small part of that is incredible. It's such a gift. What is something that people at home could do if they wanted to get started with getting in touch with themselves a little bit more? Great question. And this is a practice that I share with anybody who will listen <laughs> because I think everybody would benefit from it. I know they would. It's always up to you if you want to opt in or out. But this, I call it one thing daily. It's a very non-creative uh, name. One of my coaching clients calls it one a day, like the vitamins. <laughs> um, and it's based loosely on Dr. Nicola Perez's work, The Holistic Psychologist, where she does this future self-journaling. Every day you commit to doing this journaling for yourself. And so the one thing daily practice is something that I used particularly during periods of what I would call like a funk. And so the practice is this. You each day choose one thing that you're going to do for yourself and keep that promise to yourself. It can be something like cleaning the cat litter box, making the bed. You know, if you're at a particularly low capacity, it could be washing one dish, brushing your hair, splashing water on your face. 
Or it can be calling your best friend, going to get ice cream. It can be finally donating that pile of clothes that's been looking at me for two months. <laughs> you know, it, it can be anything. You can choose daily what that thing is going to be. It can be feeling like a reward or it can be feeling like a chore or it can be anything in the middle. The important piece is to just decide on it and then follow through on it. So you can't, for example, go do a yoga class and then be like, oh, that's my thing for today. That's the thing I did for myself. The important piece is making the promise and then following through. Hmm. And what this is going to do, it's particularly supportive of that solar plexus chakra, that that sense of self-worth and our identity, is that you are showing yourself on a daily basis, you are worth showing up for. You are worth consistency. You are worth keeping promises to. You are worth follow through. Mm. This is going to build that center in such a beautiful way. And energetically, it's going to have you vibrating at a level where other people around you are going to start stepping up because that's your standard minimum now is the follow through. So it's a really easy idea. And I particularly like it for periods where I'm feeling a little lower because if I do one dish, I'm going to probably wash the rest of the dishes, right? Because that inertia gets you moving again. And then you're probably going to keep going with it. It can create this beautiful ripple effect. One of my coaching clients shared this story with me about, um, it was like 8 p.m. and she hadn't gotten around to her one thing daily yet. And her promise was to go pick wildflowers for herself in the field behind her house. And so it's 8 p.m., it's getting dark, and she's just running around finding flowers. I love that story because it shows, like, you are important enough to take mm. yourself seriously and to follow through. And that moment of, oh, it's too late. I can wait until tomorrow. You know, yeah. no, I deserve this. I'm worth this. I'm going to show up for myself here. I'm going to remind myself of my worth. And it doesn't take anybody around you. It doesn't take anything outside of you. It's just you showing up for you. And that is so healing and supportive for that third, that solar plexus chakra, and really at the back of the heart as well. It's just a practice that I love to share with people. I think everybody could benefit from that. Mm, I'm going to do that. <laughs> do you choose your thing the night before or the morning of, or does it matter? I don't think it really matters. Being feminine beings who have a 28-ish day cycle where we feel differently every day, um, it's sometimes nice to do it like that day of because you might wake up feeling a little different and mm. giving yourself that space. But if it works for you to figure it out the night before, like more power to you. It's not so much about any of those sort of details. The only important piece is deciding first and following through and however you want to you know, execute on that is your prerogative. Um, it's just that that demonstration of I'm worth this. Mm, I'm excited to try this. I will play. <laughs> Send me your, your things when you do them. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> I will. I will. So where can people connect with you? And is there anything that you'd like to invite people to? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram. My handle is Healing House, H-A-U-S, Boston. I also have a website, healinghousehaus.co, where you can book, explore my offerings, et cetera. I have an email list on there as well that you can sign up for. I usually send monthly emails that kind of incorporate 
the chakras, embodiment, energy, how to work with them. That's where I announce first when I have new openings and availability or any events going on. Actually, one thing that I have not yet announced, I am working on a heart-centered workshop that's going Ooh. to combine embodiment and a sound bath and cacao circle. So I'm really so jazzed about this. I've been dreaming it up forever and I finally gave myself the permission <laughs> to just step forward and do it. I'm really, really excited. Mm, will this be live in Boston or virtual? It will be live in Boston, yeah. Yeah. So if you're I'm in Boston. So if you're in Boston, you can go to this. I'm coming. I can't wait. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I ask every guest this question. If you could leave our audience with just one message, what would it be? I would say that listening inward to yourself above and beyond what other people are telling you or instructing you um, is the most important thing. I'm so focused on empowerment for people and anything that feels disempowering, I just encourage them to run far away from. I'm constantly encouraging people to trust that inner voice, to trust that guidance, because my intuition is not really of use to you at all. Mm -hmm. I can use it to reflect things to you after a session, and that's wonderful, but you know what's best for you beyond what I know. I mm -hmm. might say things to somebody after a session that don't resonate with them at all, and if that's not true for them, they know that, and they can leave it. I think, especially when we're starting out on this journey and all of this is new to us, kind of like I talked about with my own intuition, right? I thought, oh, well, I don't have it because it's not showing up this way or that way that I've been told it's going to. I think... I felt like I had, quote, made it <laughs> when I had put my crystals out under a full moon. I hadn't done it in months, and I, I got this big sweeping urge to do it, and I put them all out, and they charged overnight under the full moon. And the next day, I saw this, you know, renowned astrologer saying, don't put your crystals out. Don't charge them. It's an eclipse. You don't want that energy on your crystals. No, 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 no. <laughs> And instead of freaking out, I thought, I must have been compelled to do that for a reason. Mm -hmm. I trust that I was compelled for a reason over what this person is telling me. And that's when I knew like, okay, <laughs> I trust my intuition. I trust myself. I've got this. I've stopped, again, looking for that guru or that source outside of me. And I have established this sense of trust. I would encourage other people on the journey to get so practiced and so secure in your inner knowing and in touch with your inner knowing and curious about exploring that relationship that you don't get so pulled by what people around you are saying. Yes. Such good advice. It's more like a dance with external forces instead of like a subjugation. <laughs> mm, yes. Yes, exactly. Choosing to opt in or opt out, choosing to take that and work with it or dismiss it. Exactly. Mm. And I recognize it's hypocritical for me to give that advice, <laughs> but <laughs> people can people can take it or leave it. That's the beauty of thought and ideas and advice. You take it or leave it. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh! Well, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for being here with us today. 
Oh my goodness. Thank you for the thought-provoking questions and taking me on this journey. It's been so much fun. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to be kept in the loop on new episodes like it, follow us on Instagram at Abundantly Curious or join the email list at the link in our show description and show notes. And if you've got extra love to give, which we always welcome, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, when we open our minds, we open to new possibilities.